The content provided by this podcast, Health, Wellness, and Community, is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical or legal advice. The host and guest, including Dr. Moore, who is a certified nurse practitioner, provides insights based on their experiences and expertise in healthcare and community matters. However, the information shared in this podcast should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment and is not tailored to individual circumstances. Always consult with a qualified healthcare provider for personalized recommendations regarding your health. Additionally, the legal aspects discussed are not intended as a replacement for legal advice from qualified professionals. Any actions you take based on the information provided from this podcast are at your own risk. To read the full disclosure, please see the link below. Thank you for joining us on Health, Wellness, and Community. Now let's get to today's episode, Blood Center, Blood Bank, Blood Mobile, Blood Collection Center. When we hear these words, what comes to mind? For many of us, there are thoughts of hesitation and fear. While these feelings are legit, this one act can affect the lives of so many people. A lot of times in the past when I would think of a blood center or blood bank or giving a blood donation, I thought that I would go into a designated area, I would donate, they would take a pint of blood, and in the future, if I needed blood for some reason, the blood center would supply the blood to the facility wherever I was having the procedure conducted. The thing is, the blood center does so much more than you and I even know. The services provided to the community by the local blood center are far-reaching. During this episode, I interview Ms. Mande Brayua, the Vice President of External Relations at the Kentucky Blood Center. In the interview, we discuss the many services provided to the local community, as well as how the partnership between the blood center and the community can help benefit many of our citizens. Stick around because you are going to learn some valuable information. Let's go. and Community Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Quentin Moore. And today on the show, we have Miss Mandy Brayua. Miss Brayua is the Vice President of External Relationships at the Kentucky Blood Center, which provides services for 90 different counties in Kentucky. She's here today to discuss the many different services provided by the Kentucky Blood Center throughout the state. If you would, please help me welcome Miss Brayua to the show. Thanks so much. Nice to be here. So, Miss Brayua, as you know, a lot of people, when we talk about a blood center, most folks think, okay, I go, I give blood. If I'm in the hospital or something, I get blood. And most people truly don't understand the complexities of what the blood center does for the community. I would like to start off by having you tell us a little bit about the history of the Kentucky Blood Center. Absolutely. So we were started almost 54 years ago by the Kentucky Medical Foundation as a way simply to supply blood to 
Lexington hospitals. And so at the time we were based in Lexington, serving only the Lexington hospitals and, and wanting to, you know, it, many bloods or many hospitals at that point in time were doing their own blood banking and doing their own blood draws. But it was something that was going to be a lot easier to be managed by a, an organization that could serve multiple hospitals. So that's the beginnings of um, of how we came to be. Throughout time, we've grown to serve more than just the Lexington hospitals. Um, as you stated earlier, we provide services in 90 counties. We serve 70 hospitals in Kentucky. But it's so much more than just being a place where people can come in and roll up their sleeves. Um, and I think that's a lot of, you know, people don't understand what happens after you make that blood donation, either in one of our donor centers or on a mobile blood drive. Um, we have to do a lot of t series of testing on every blood donation. So to make sure that blood is safe and healthy for the next person who receives it. Not just that, but your blood also is, um, your blood gets broken down into components. So what people think of well, when you come in, you donate what we call a whole blood donation. We take a pint of blood out of your arm and then we will take that blood and break it down into different components. So when the blood transfusion is given to a patient, they're receiving your red cells only. So we have labs here. We do all of that work right here in our facility in Lexington. So blood that we collect throughout the state comes back to our headquarters in, we're in Belmont Center in Lexington, and we process all of that blood. We send the tubes off to a testing laboratory, and as soon as those tubes are tested and the blood is cleared, it's ready to be shipped to a hospital, oftentimes within 24 to 36 hours after your donation. Everybody hears about the Kentucky Blood Center here in Central Kentucky anyway, or a blood center in their area. But many don't know, like I said previously, the true extent of the services that you offer. And can you, even though you touched on it, can you tell us a little bit more about the services that you do offer the community? Yeah, I think one thing that is um, was probably surprising to me, I'm, I've been a blood donor since I've been old enough to donate, so I won't tell you how many years that's been, but quite a while, and I didn't quite understand all of the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens. Obviously, you know, we type your blood when you donate because we certain blood types can only be received by certain blood types, et cetera. We actually have something here that is just absolutely still fascinates me. It's a, It's a reference laboratory, and we can do very specific like genotype matching we can find certain uh certain people can't receive blood that has a specific antibody in the blood and so we can look all the way down and to find those the perfect matches for these folks oftentimes when we find these people sometimes just because they show up at a blood drive we work with other organizations to get these folks listed on the rare donor registry. So we had a young lady who contacted me by accident actually a couple months ago, but she had received a letter from us. She has a very, very rare antibody in her blood that like she's the only donor now in our database with this antibody in her blood. Wow. And so she worked through us to join the National Rare Donor Re Registry. And if there are people what will happen is she'll continue to donate blood at regular intervals. We will hold her blood in case it's needed by someone who needs that rare type. And she's listed on that rare donor registry. And then they also can reach back out to us and say, we need to get her in here. We need this, you know, product drawn. So it's, there's a lot of behind the scenes things with our laboratories, with our, our services that a lot of folks just don't recognize because that's what happens after your blood it's gone from the donor center or gone from the mobile blood drive. Um, but we work really closely with the hospitals to make sure we have the right products for the right patients. Children, pediatric patients require certain, obviously it's a different volume of product. And so 
and they require certain blood types and very specific things. So we actually recruit certain donors who come in just what we call their like they do pediatric donations. And so we split their their blood products a different way to make sure that they're suitable to be transfused to a pediatric patient. There's a lot of really neat, in, intricate details of things that, you know, even probably are above what I understand. But it's definitely not just the blood comes in the door and goes back out the door. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes to make sure that the patients with very specific medical needs get the products that they need. Okay, so I want to briefly swing back around to the young lady that you said had the rare antibodies. When you all collect, I guess, would it be a specimen uh, or a donation from her, and you said you hold her blood, how long can you hold her blood before you have to discard of it or have somebody else use it? So typically a blood donation can be has a shelf life of 42 days. So when you come in and donate whole blood, we, can, we need to use that product within 42 days, your red cells. In cases like hers, what we would often do is probably we can freeze her blood. Um, there's certain protocols where you can freeze the blood and then degliss it later to thaw it later for a, a specific patient. Now, if we knew that there was a patient that needed that antibody match that she has and had an upcoming need for it, then we might work really hard to schedule for her as closely to when that need was. Or if she was eligible to donate at the time that we get contacted, we would get her in as quickly as possible to donate. And the interesting thing is, you know, as I talked to her, I said, you know, have your parents ever donated blood? Because clearly you you came, this, this antibody came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't believe that they're active donors, but now that I know I have this, I'm going to make sure my mom, my dad, and my brother all go donate because I'm really interested to see if, if anybody else in my family has the antibody, which is certainly beneficial to us if any of them also come up with this rare antibody because it just helps widen our base of people with that antibody. Wow. A lot of times when it comes to blood donation, a lot of the people, potential donors that is, they go by word of mouth. They hear other people say what they can and can't do uh, as far as blood donations and so forth instead of going straight to the source. Can you talk to us about what some of the myths or misconceptions about blood donation are? Absolutely. Uh, You know, and I think it's all happens very innocently. Some people get deferred for something. And then five years later, the FDA changes that regulation. So I don't think people are spreading misinformation on purpose, but they maybe they were deferred for a very specific reason that doesn't apply to other people. Oftentimes, you know, a big one that used to be if you were diabetic, you could not donate blood. Now the FDA has changed that guidance. And, and if you're diabetic, but your diabetes is managed by, you know, it's under control and managed by medication or diet, then you're perfectly suitable to donate blood. We know from statistics about, especially our state, that there's a lot of people who are type 2 diabetics in our state. If all of those people heard, you know, five, 10 years ago that they couldn't donate blood because they were diabetic and never checked again, that's a lot of people were missing from the donor pool. So um, another thing is um, you can't donate if you have a tattoo. As long as you got that tattoo at a licensed tattoo parlor in our state or in a state that requires tattoo parlors to be licensed, you're absolutely eligible to donate. Certain types of cancer can preclude you from donating, but not all types of cancer. So if you've, you know, fully recovered from certain types of cancer, you're certainly eligible to come back and donate again. But a lot of people just have, you You may have heard of someone who had a double mastectomy and said that it can never donate blood again. And, and you might assume it's because they had cancer. Well, it's actually more because of the treatment they received for their cancer. We can't do, a, we can't do a blood draw on someone who's, had a double mastectomy. So it's not necessarily that the person had cancer, it was that the treatment plan. 
So there's lots of um, different things. There's certain medications that may have deferred you even last year that now are on the approved list. And so we tell people just because you were deferred once, it doesn't mean you'll be deferred every time. It doesn't mean that that's still a rule. You can always call our 800 number and find out more about things that might defer you. But we always just tell people, come in and try to donate. And then, you know, you may learn a little bit more. Um, there are permanent deferrals. There are people who get deferral. What we would call a permanent deferral would be for the rest of your life, you can't donate. But that even that is not set in stone because sometimes those permanent deferrals get lifted. So a good case in point of that is uh, if you lived overseas during a certain period in the 80s when mad cow disease was rampant, you were probably previously permanently deferred from giving blood, told you could never get blood again. Just last year, the FDA changed a lot of those restrictions. There are a few areas that still are a permanent deferral, but a lot of those were lifted. And so that impacted a ton of military donors who were stationed overseas and or with family, you know, even people my age, I think, you know, were living overseas with their parents and had thought they would never be able to donate blood. And now it's acceptable again. So it's just, uh, unfortunately, it's a gray area, but I always tell people, don't just assume that you can't try it again. Okay. So the moral of the story pretty much is if you have questions, go directly to the source yes. and ask your questions and get your answers. And that way it'll cut down on some of the misinformation that's out there. So that's probably a good uh, theory in life, isn't it? It sure is. It is. So, uh, and a lot of times folks don't do that. <laughs> but uh, So uh, if someone donates a pint of blood, uh, tell us how that pint of blood, how it's used, please. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about it earlier, but I, I wanted to break it down a little bit more. So your pint of blood, which is uh, somewhere between, I believe, 475 and and 525 is taken uh, to our lab for processing as soon as it's donated. It actually gets centrifuged um, and and that helps to divide the blood products out. So we then take your red cells and and filter those red cells. Your plasma gets split off of, of your blood donation. Your plasma can be frozen for up to a year and used to treat patients. And then your platelets are pulled off of that. And platelets are used for cancer patients. Uh, they help with blood clotting. They help burn victims. So anybody who's having an issue with clotting and things like that, oftentimes will get a, a platelet transfusion. Your red cells are traditionally, so that red cell we drew off of there and filtered, that's what people think of when they think of a blood transfusion. So it's packed red cells. And that is the part that we will transfuse in a in traditional blood transfusion. Um, ultimately, you donate a pint of blood, it can actually go to three different patients and save three different lives. And so that's the, I mean, I think that's a really cool thing because I, I don't know of a lot of things most of us can do in our daily life to save three lives. I mean, healthcare providers get that joy, firemen get that joy. But for me, I'm just an everyday person. But when I come in and roll up my sleeve, it takes, you know, a little bit of time out of my day. But three different people right here in the Commonwealth can, can get that life-saving gift. Three folks from one pint of blood. That's, you know, usually you would think, well, maybe one pint, one person, and that one person might need multiple pints. But um, that's really interesting. Now, I have an idea, and I, I'm I'm going to say I'm thinking my, with my next question, as far as demographics that are less likely to donate, I would think, of course, African-American. But uh, can you tell us about those demographics that are less likely to donate, not only by race, but by any other demographic? 
You know, certainly uh, it's really interesting that this is a constantly shifting discussion that I was actually on a call with other blood centers in America today talking about this very thing. African-Americans is always a, a much needed population and oftentimes less likely to donate. Of course, we're all sort of interested in what, you know, what what are the reasons behind that and certainly looking for ways to do outreach to um, that community. And and certainly the other demographics that, you know, kind of stick out to me are young people. So our our donor population is aging. We looked at some data pre-pandemic, back when we had time to sit around and look at data and analyze it. uh, And and we realized that at some point, about 60% of our donor population was over the age of 50. Wow. There is no upper limit on when, how old you have, you know, you don't have to stop donating blood at 75. We have donors that are up into their 80s that donate blood with us. Now, certainly the older you get, oftentimes there's medical conditions or things where your doctor, they don't, if you're already in a weakened state and elderly, they don't want you donating your own blood. So we do send, tend to see people taper off at a, at a in their 80s um, from blood donation. Young people up, you know, I would say 16 to 30 it's just a, it's a hard time. We get people when they're in high school, and that's usually how people are introduced to the idea of blood donation. Certainly, that's been a challenge during the pandemic for us. We're not going to high schools, so there's this whole faction of 16 and 17 year olds that haven't had the opportunity to make that first gift. Sometimes we can get students in college. We go to a lot of college campuses and beg uh, for blood. But then you know we all kind of you get out of college and you start your life and you're doing that first career or you're starting your family, and it, it becomes sort of a back-of-the-mind thing. Uh, and then typically we start to see people come back to us in their 30s, uh, usually because someone they know has needed blood. The one thing that was a really interesting statistic that we're seeing nationally right now is the number of men who donate is decreasing dramatically. Women are on the uptick and men are on the decline. And for years and years and years, men have been literally the lifeblood of blood centers. I mean, that is, you know, our, our bread and butter. And so they're you know, we're all kind of talking about what what do we think is behind this trend that we're seeing, because a male donor is more likely to be able to do a double, uh, you know, a double donation. They're less likely to be deferred uh, just simply based on size and strength. Um, so there's a variety of factors that make that a very concerning trend to see nationally. So if I had my way, we'd had a, a lot of young, healthy men. We, we'd see a lot more African-American donors coming in the doors. And we work and kind of challenge ourselves every day to think about how are we going to reach out to those populations. Okay. So who needs blood other than, of course, we think about folks who who experience trauma, you know, trauma victims. We, we think about that if somebody's in a car wreck and goes to the hospital, they might need a blood transfusion or something. But who besides people in that particular situation actually need blood? So gosh, there's a, there's a whole host of things that probably even I myself didn't think about as a blood donor before I started working here. There is obviously the traumas. You think about car accidents, uh, internal bleeding, certainly people who, you know, I just think about people who cut themselves. We have a young man who donates with us who lost his leg in a farm machinery accident. That, you know, those types of people who have a massive trauma and receive not just a little, they receive a lot of blood. We have a gentleman who donated with us and lost one of his legs and a portion of his other leg and he received over 200 units of blood over the course of his immediate treatment in the hospital. Wow. Um, 
So that that's what everyone thinks of. And certainly that is why we need blood on the shelves all the time because accidents aren't planned. Um, but it's the everyday use, uh, women giving birth. Uh, a lot of times women lose blood during childbirth and they need a transfusion just to get them back to, to normal. Cancer patients are a huge use of blood products and not just red blood cells. We're talking about, you know, with your blood donation, uh, platelets, plasma, things like that. Burn victims use it. Folks with sickle cell anemia often need blood transfusions. We have a young lady who's done some outreach for us who's received over 500 blood transfusions in her life because she suffers from sickle cell anemia. And sometimes those sickle cell anemia patients actually oftentimes go through a total blood um, transfusion. So they, we take, they lose all their blood and get new blood transfused. You know, beyond that, there's uh, Transplants, um, anytime an organ's transplanted, there's blood used during the organ transplant surgery and a variety of other things. I mean, I know, for instance, my grandfather had an undiagnosed condition and was losing blood and had to have a couple of blood transfusions when he was in his elder years. So, uh, you know, every day there's there's usage. It's not just when you hear the sirens on the road. It's It's the folks who have a scheduled appointment to come in and get a blood transfusion. We have to supply all of that need regardless, and that's why it's important that we always have donors coming in the door so that we're able to supply the everyday needs plus those accidents and unplanned emergencies. So what about the the different types of blood donations? Let's talk about those. So there are, um, we typically utilize donors standardly in one of three ways, and then I can kind of, later we can touch on what's been a little bit different during COVID. A whole blood donation is what most people think of as, as the type of donation you can do. You you get screened. You do some screening questions. If your hemoglobin and your temperature and your pulse and all of that are high enough, then you sit on a bed for about five to 10 minutes. We will very gently insert a needle into your arm. <laughs> and it takes about anywhere from five to 10 minutes for you to make that whole blood donation. You'll squeeze a little squeeze ball to keep your blood pumping. You can have a snack while you do it. And then you are done with that donation. Uh, that's what we call a whole blood donation. If you are a suitable blood type and the right size and your hemoglobin is high enough and we will recruit you to do what we call a double donation, a double red donation, that is where you will be on a phoresis machine, which is so you'll sit down, needle goes in your arm, just like with a whole blood donation. However, your blood's going to uh, come out, go through a centrifuge. We're going to take those red cells off of your blood. But we're going to give you back your plasma and your platelets. What we're going to do is we're going to take enough red cells to make two donations. So you can do that less often, but we get double the donation. So for a lot of people, it's super convenient. And especially if you're a much needed blood type, if you're an O donor, if you're a negative blood type donor, we oftentimes like to get what we can from you because it's you can't come as often, but it gives us more blood at the time that you can come. That's called a double red donation. That typically takes about 40 minutes plus your screening time. So you'll be screened, but instead of the five to 10 minutes on the bed, it takes 30 to 40 minutes because it has to centrifuge and then give you back those products. But you also get fluid while you're doing it. So a lot of people say they feel really great after they donate double reds because they get hydration. And then the third way that we are often targeting donors, and this again is based on your blood type and a number of factors. You have to be a certain height and weight. Um, you have to have a high enough, we'll draw a platelet count on you the first time you donate blood with us to see what your platelet count is. And if you're kind of an ideal candidate based on all that information that we get, we will recruit you to be a platelet donor. Our platelet donors are, I think, rock stars in my book. We do those in our, we do platelet donations that are six donor centers, and we have a mobile platelet bus that goes throughout the state on specific days to do platelets. That's similar to a double red. You're going to be on a machine. It's going to take 
It's going to take your platelets, though, and give you back your red cells and your plasma. Uh, it takes anywhere, depending on how many. My husband is a platelet donor. He oftentimes, we, we, you can do a single donation, a double donation, or a triple. He likes to do the triple donations. It takes him about an hour and a half on the machine, uh, plus time for screening and, and post-donation. But again, those the platelets are going to cancer patients, burn victims. Um, platelets are only good for five days after we draw them. So they're a very fragile product. They have to be kept um, at room temperature and they have to be used within five days. So we have to be very strategic about how many platelets we draw, making sure we're moving them around to the hospitals that need them the most to make sure that they're going to get used. And so we, we recruit a specific amount of appointments every day, every week to make sure we have the right amount coming in. Um, and that is a product that you can donate every two weeks. So we have a lot of platelet donors come 24 times a year. I mean, they're, and we get to know them very well because they're there on the bed for two hours and we get to chat with them. And many of them have been doing that for years. And it's a simple way that they can give back and they enjoy it. And we enjoy getting to know them. And they really are. Uh, I mean, I think everybody who comes in here and donates is a hero, but those folks have a special place in our hearts. So you say that the, the platelet donors are your rock star. <laughs> have you told your husband that he's a rock star? Only intermittently because it gets <laughs> so... He's actually having surgery this week and he's going to have to, he's going to get deferred for six months because he's having surgery and he's so mad. He's like, I was going to get all the, I was going to hit 24 donations this year. I was going to be, there's some incentives that go like the more you donate, the more incentives you can get. Oh, thank you. He was like, he was totally committed and he'd come every single, you know, every other week he's been here since the beginning of this year. And he's, he's very sad that he's going to miss the summer. So. Okay. You know, we talk about the uh, platelets, the packed red cells and things like that. Uh, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is um, the different blood types. Can you talk about the different blood types and not only the different blood types, which types are most needed? Absolutely. And that's a common question that we get. So there are you either type A, type B, type O or type AB. So everybody has a letter and everybody has a positive or a negative. So you can be A negative or A positive, B negative or B positive. A lot of folks are asking us, you know, what what is the most needed type? I never like to put my finger on that because every type is needed all the time. You're right. And so I tell people, don't think if you have a specific blood type that isn't often mentioned on the news that it means we don't need your blood type. It just means we have consistent donors who give it with your blood type and so we're not desperately in need. However... When a patient has an accident, there's a car accident, there's a trauma, there's major blood loss, and that patient is rushed to the hospital, it is very rare that the emergency crews and the emergency room physicians know what type of blood that person has. In those situations, O negative blood is transfused to that patient. There are some situations where O positive blood is used in those situations. So O type donors are certainly helpful. An O negative person is called the universal donor. So if you have O negative blood, anyone can receive your blood which is absolutely, certainly important. I would say there we see a lot of usage of A blood around this region. There are a lot of people with A type blood, so there's a lot of need for A type blood. Um, if you have a B blood type, we probably need you for plasma. That's the universal plasma donor. So there's a lot of different reasons why your blood type might be on our hot list. And, you know, right now we're desperately in need of O donors and that is kind of a constant battle that every blood center faces. It, it's what goes off the shelf the quickest, and it's the hardest to replace. So there are, there, again, like I said, 
we keep a, we try to keep a, we would love to have a three to four day supply of all blood types. There are not many blood types we keep a three to four day supply on the shelves of. And certainly right now, I would say we have a couple hours supply of O blood. So that's kind of the fragile margins that we're working with. So I tell people, number one, it doesn't matter if you don't know your blood type, we will type your blood the first time you donate. So that's another good thing. When you come in to donate, usually within a few days, you can log into your donor portal account, see your blood type, see your hemoglobin, see your cholesterol, all those types of things. And so if you don't know your blood type, it's a good way to find out. And then, you know, don't don't feel like if if we're not constantly screaming that we need B positive blood, that you just shouldn't donate if you're B positive, because there are times then when B positive is flying off the shelves and we are desperate for that. Okay. For someone who's getting ready to, or they're considering donating blood and they still have those thoughts in the back of their head, what are some tips and tricks that could potentially make the blood donation process easier for them or a better experience for them? Uh, yeah, this is a great thing. This is always be prepared as what well. you know, the Boy Scout motto, right? Be prepared. Yeah. Well, what I would tell you is be hydrated. You don't want to come into a blood donation dehydrated because you're going to, when you lose blood, you're going to, that's going to dehydrate you a little bit. Uh, you want to eat a full meal. So if you're the kind of person who skips breakfast, don't make an appointment in the morning to come donate blood you know, make it for after lunch when you have, you don't want to be overly full, but you want to be, you want to have a good meal in your stomach. You want to get a good night's rest the night before you donate. You want to feel well and healthy. So you if you have a migraine, you probably don't want to come in and donate blood. If you woke up and your stomach was a little bit upset, you're, you don't want to set yourself back. But by all means, if you feel well and healthy, drink plenty of water. I even drink water right before I come. Try to keep your hands warm before you donate which is kind of a, a something I didn't know. And sometimes my iron will test low and simply because my fingers are cold. Wow. We have to prick your finger and test your hemoglobin and it has to be at a certain level so that we, we don't want to deplete you. But if you, you know, make sure your fingers are warm, make sure that you're generally warm, obviously not too warm. You don't want to give yourself a temperature, but all of those things will help. We will certainly, we'll do screening. We'll offer you a snack before you donate. We tell folks, um, I like to drink a, I drink a, sugary beverage while I'm donating. I usually have like a regular Coke just to keep my blood sugar going. But there's a lot of different tips and tricks that different people will give you. But for me, I think the kind of tried and true is that hydration, full stomach, and make sure you're well rested and not, you know, if you stayed up all night studying for finals or, you know, perhaps celebrating the end of the school year, it's probably not good to come in and do it that day. But then um, after you're done donating, making sure that you continue to hydrate and replenish the fluids in your body that you've lost. We tell people never skip meals after you donate either. It's important to refuel your body. And, you know, you you wait to, you need to wait to smoke or drink. So there's a certain time period. And this, a lot of us will let people know about that. You don't want to go out and have a beer immediately after donating or smoke a cigarette. But yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can do to make sure that you are setting yourself up for success or disaster. I have <laughs> been that person who inadvertently set myself up for disaster once and I will never do it again. So don't, you know, don't skip lunch and then decide that you're going to go and, and give part of your blood away. So. <laughs> okay. So uh, previously you addressed that you all typically introduce blood donation to high school uh, students. Now, I know you you reach out at that to that age group, but how old do you have to be to actually donate? So in the state of Kentucky, you can donate at age 16 with your parents' permission. 
once you turn 17, you can donate on your own. You do not need a parent's permission. Usually that means juniors and seniors in high school are getting recruited at those high school blood drives. But obviously donor centers, they can come in and donate. We've seen a lot of families coming out during the pandemic to our donor centers and donating as a group, which is great. We love when we see parents model that, you know, because kids will follow the behavior that's been modeled for them. For me, when I was in high school, the, the blood mobile from KBC rolled up at my high school and it was a great way to get out of class. And, and I, we're, we're not above that. We believe that, you know, if that's what it takes and certainly when kids have a good experience the first time, they'll remember that and they'll make it a point to donate later in life. We continue to try and be, like I said, at as many college campuses as we can, you know, we, we are at EKU several times a year. We're at UK several times a year, just trying to make it convenient for folks to donate blood. We know not everybody lives near a blood donation center, so we try to make it easy and convenient for folks to donate, no matter what age they are. But certainly high schools are a great way for us to introduce that to folks. We do a high school scholarship program at those high schools that partner with us for blood drives. Schools agree to host a certain number of blood drives a year. Then based on the amount of donations we collect at those drives, they're eligible for scholarship money that can be awarded to any student in the school, even if the student's not a blood donor. So um, that's a nice little help, especially at rural high schools oftentimes are looking for any scholarship opportunities for young people that they can. So I know you mentioned it earlier, but could you please repeat how often someone can give a donation? So if you were to give a whole blood donation, which, you know, as we go back to it's that standard type of donation most people could think about, you can donate blood every 56 days. So every eight weeks, every other month, you can do it up to six times a year. If you were to do double red cells, then it's 112 days. So you can donate that three times a year. And then platelets are every two weeks. Now, certainly there are other factors. Obviously, I'm the kind of person I was trying to donate every 56 days. It takes a little bit while longer than for me to write iron to come back. So I might have, I may get deferred for my hemoglobin if I try to come in like on day 57. So I try to do it about every 10 weeks, but we, you know, we encourage people to donate as often as you're eligible and as often as you feel like your body can handle, because if you're donating as often as you're eligible, then you've done your part and you know that there's the blood that you've put out there is on the shelves when it's needed. So I was looking at you all's website, and on the website, it mentions something about Quick Pass. Can you tell us what Quick Pass is? Yeah, so if you've ever donated blood before, there's a series of questions you have to answer in order to qualify you or disqualify you from blood donation. Long, long ago and far away, that was a paper form we had to fill out like a Scantron sheet. And then the phlebotomist would go through that form and maybe ask you some more questions or let you proceed with the donation. We all do, we do that now in our donor centers on tablets, so it's all electronic. One cool thing uh, that we were able to introduce, it's been about two years ago, is now you can do that online on the day that you donate before you come into our donor centers. So, and that's been especially handy during COVID because people are trying to limit the amount of time they're out in public. So you wake up on Tuesday and you've got an appointment to come donate blood at a mobile blood drive or at a donor center. You can go online, uh, complete your quick pass, which means you answer all those questions about travel you may have had overseas or medicines you may be taking. There's a lot of different questions in there. You can do that from the comfort of your own home, on your computer, at work, on your on your phone, on your tablet, and you can screenshot your barcode. They'll give you a barcode at the end and you screenshot that. When you register at the donation site, they'll ask you if you completed your quick pass. If you did, you show them that barcode, they scan that barcode. It takes one whole step out of the process for you in the donor center. So we 
you know, we oftentimes tell people if if we're at your work or and you know you're coming down to donate, just go ahead and complete your quick pass. And it's just less time that you're there in the process. Uh, you still have to do the questions. They'll still review them with you in the screening booth. But it's just you're not sitting there at one of our little kiosks trying to answer all your questions when there's other people around. And I think sometimes it's easier to concentrate if you're doing it sort of on your own. But that's kind of a cool thing that we have actually seen a big uptick in users during the pandemic. So we are glad to be able to provide that as an option for people. And it certainly helps us with donor flow and keeping donors moving through the donor centers and mobile blood drives. So I know that you previously talked about your high school blood drive scholarship. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners about other ways that you, you all serve the community? You know, we are a nonprofit, 501c3 uh, community blood center. So we are very community-minded. Everything we do is is meant to serve the community. But I think the really cool thing, and it's not often, I've worked at several nonprofits in the region, so I feel like I have the ability to say this with some certainty. There aren't a lot of nonprofits that are able to financially support other nonprofits and partner with other nonprofits on, on cause giving. And actually, the way I was most... Uh, introduced to the folks I work with now is when I was working at the food bank here and we were able to partner with the blood center. We both struggled with summertime donations. The food bank didn't get canned good donations. The blood center always has a hard time in the summer. And so we actually decided to join up and we promoted people donating blood at any KBC drive they could. And those donors were able to, when they came in to donate blood, if they chose to pass on the thank you gift, which is a t-shirt most often, then the blood center donated the value of that t-shirt back to the food bank to help us provide meals to people in need. So that was my first introduction and and what a great one it was. So we do things like that with the Salvation Army from time to time. We support Reeds Across America, which is a program that puts wreaths on the graves of veterans um, at the holiday time. So we do um, a, a promotion similar to what I described to you where folks can pass on their donation or make a financial contribution when they donate blood. And we support buying those wreaths at several different veteran cemeteries across the state. So we always are looking for good ways to promote both what we need and what the community needs. And we find that partnering with other nonprofits is we all have the same end goal in mind, which is to provide a better community. I didn't realize that you all actually did all of that community work. And uh, I knew that you reached out directly to certain areas of the community, but I didn't realize that you all reached out and helped other nonprofits, which is amazing because that makes your contact with the community even much greater. And a lot of people don't even realize that. So some of our listeners, you know, you all hear what the Blood Center is doing. So they're supporting the community, and we, we'd love for you all to support them as well. Can you talk to us about the services that you provided during the pandemic? How did the pandemic affect Kentucky Blood Center's ability to continue to get blood donations, continue to serve the community, and so forth? Well, I can tell you it's been a whirlwind, and I know we all say that about everything that's happened in the last year. We, you know, very quickly in March of last year, mobile blood drive started canceling. Certainly schools were closing, businesses were closing, and and that didn't surprise us based on what was happening and the uncertainty of what we were all facing. What surprised us was we saw initially a huge outpouring of donors at our donor centers. We, we had days where we collected more red cells than we collected in years. And it was a huge and great and wonderful thing because I think people were felt, feeling helpless and needed to do something. And that was great. Unfortunately, blood has a shelf life. And so a huge surge like that is helpful at the time, but, you know, we need consistent support 
throughout time. We we were in good shape for a while because hospitals uh, canceled elective surgeries across the state, and so people weren't using as much blood. But we've still felt the pinch, and we're still feeling the pinch today for our mobile blood drives have not come back the way that they were. We are at reduced capacity on our mobile blood mobiles, so we can't process as many donors through there one time. And we're not sure when that will come back to normal. We've had great community support. We've been able to do community blood drives across our region. And that's been wonderful. But it's hard to make up. 70% of our blood came from mobile blood drives before the pandemic. That's almost completely flip-flopped with our donor centers now. But we still need those, those communities, you know, that community support to come back. But one of the really cool ways and, and just absolutely flabbergasted me how quickly we pivoted. On March the 26th, the FDA approved an emergency authorization to use uh, what they call convalescent plasma. So it's plasma from a patient who's recovered from COVID-19 as an experimental treatment for people who are, at that point, early on, it was for people who were very critically ill, like ventilator, um, people who were on ventilators, things like that, in the hospital. That was approved on a Thursday we were the first community blood center in America to draw plasma from a recovered COVID patient. So for Kentucky, it was patient number six, who was a gentleman from Harrison County, was in our donor center on a Sunday afternoon. We were closed. We we got him in here and we he drew enough, we drew enough plasma off of him to help a couple of patients at Baptist Health in Lexington. From there, it just took off. Hospitals wanted to try this experimental treatment. We Certainly wanted to partner with all the hospitals that we serve to get this to them, but even to the extent that there were some hospitals within the state that we don't supply all the blood to, that were having a hard time getting other organizations to draw the plasma for them, we were able to, we went up to Louisville and did an emergency kind of CCP drive for them. That's what we call convalescent plasma. And so over the course of of the, uh, I guess it was pretty much almost exactly 12 months, we drew plasma from over 900 recovered patients, which, and it, almost all of those people could donate up to like four doses of CCP. So it impacted thousands of Kentuckians. And and really, we were able to quickly but efficiently train staff members to draw a product they'd never drawn before. And we have a wonderful training staff that we were, we trained the trainer and then trained the next group. And we were able to get folks and we were drawing that plasma in Pikeville, Somerset, Lexington, Louisville. Uh, we were taking our mobile collection bus out and drawing plasma in Ashland. We went all the way over to Elizabethtown and draw, drew plasma. And so getting that really much needed product on the shelves for the, our hospitals to use to treat COVID patients. And and that first patient who received it, you know, has been over, all over the news. He was a physician here in Lexington who was, who's making a full recovery. And we hoped that the plasma had something to do with it, but we were certainly honored to be able to be a part of something so early on in the process. So essentially wrapping everything up and you all, um, you talked about how your mobile blood drives were during the pandemic kind of drying up. So if a group or organization wanted to have a blood drive, how would they contact you? How would they go about organizing and contacting you? Well, we would love to hear from folks who, who may have a, what we call a captive audience that we can come in and, and draw blood from. Uh, the best way is to either visit our website at kybloodcenter.org, and you can find out more about hosting a blood drive there. There's certainly a little bit more information about what we're looking for uh, in, a, in a partner. But you can also call us at 800-775-2522, and that's our toll-free number. It, it'll get you, if you have questions about yourself donating blood, if you want to have ask questions about hosting a blood drive, that same number for all those things, and we'll get you to the right person. But, you know, we 
we will come out and do collections events. We love to come to churches. We come to community centers. We will come to your place of business if you have the right, you know, we're looking for a certain amount of employees because not everyone will donate blood. Not everyone can donate blood. But, you know, be creative. If you have a group of people, if you're a student group at EKU and you want to have a competition against another student group, we love anything that kind of entices people to get competitive and, and it helps save more lives and make more donations. But that's the best way is either visit our website or give us a call and let us know and we can work with your group or or help partner you up with another group if, if we need to get a bigger group size and, and potentially get out there and, and get blood from you guys. Okay, well, for all my listeners, I will have the website as well as the phone number down in the show notes where uh, you can look at it and you can either contact them via the web or by phone. So, Ms. Brayua, I want to thank you for your time and service to our community, and we really appreciate what you and the other folks at the Blood Center are doing for us here in Kentucky. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and we, uh, you know, again... I appreciate everybody who makes that sacrifice to come in and donate blood. It, it's a simple thing we can do to make sure that if our loved one needs it, there's blood there for them. And so, you know, no act is too small. And and certainly if you can't donate blood, advocate for other people to donate blood. It You know, it just because you may not be able to I mean, encourage other people and young people to get into the habit. All right. And for our listeners, if you would like to receive more information for services provided by the Kentucky Blood Center, I want to encourage you to go to the website at www.kentuckybloodcenter.org. Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode of Health, Wellness, and Community. As always, I hope you learned a lot about this week's topic, the Blood Center. Now, if you have any questions or comments about this topic or future topics, shoot me an email at hwcquestions at gmail.com, and I'll answer your questions as soon as I can get back to them. Now, make sure to share this podcast as well as all of our episodes with your family and friends and subscribe to the podcast for more information on health, wellness, and community. Also, the link to our website, as always, will be placed in the episode description box below. I'll see you next time, and take care. Peace. Peace.